Well, hello, everybody. This is Larry Raglan welcoming you into another edition of the Remnant Leadership Podcast. I want to say that again, the Remnant Leadership Podcast. Man, we love talking about the remnant and we love talking about leadership because here's the reality. Everything rises and falls on leadership. If we don't have leadership, we can see through many different administrations, throughout our life, we can see even in the White House, when we don't have true leadership, the country suffers. When a business, an organization that you work for doesn't have true leadership, the business or the organization suffers. We see that. It's a trickle-down effect, and that's certainly the case of a church and a ministry, that when there is not leadership in place, then the remnant cannot rise, and we believe the remnant is rising. So the fact that we believe that there is a remnant in the body of Christ that is rising, that means that there are leaders from within that remnant that are leading that rising, if, you, if, if that's even grammatically correct. Praise God. Well, listen, we want to get into some deep teaching and some powerful word uh, to encourage you leaders today. Uh, but before we do that, we always want to encourage you, if you haven't already done that, to follow our podcast, subscribe to our podcast, and go to iTunes. Uh, even if you have an Android phone, you can still go online on your computer or on a um, maybe a um, browser app and go to iTunes. It's the best way to do it is is to go to iTunes because they're the predominant podcast app out there and scroll down and give us a five-star review. When you give us a five-star review there on iTunes, that helps us because that populates us in the in the puts us in the in front of the face of people that would not normally know about our broadcast. And when you submit to iTunes, it it then goes to several other sites as well. So that by default helps us. And then of course, whatever app you're on, whether it be Spotify or any of these others, if there's a place to give us a review, give us a five star review that will help us tremendously. All right, so let's get into this today. The title of this particular podcast on the Remnant Leadership Podcast is How to Get Your Edge Back. How to Get Your Edge Back. And this is a message, this is a, a word uh, that I've shared at a few places, um, different churches and with our leadership team and with other leadership teams as well, because it's a, it's a problem that we see happening. We see people who have got into ministry, got into a place of leadership, and they're on fire. They're excited. I mean, they have got vision. They've got purpose. They've got destiny. Everything you can imagine that uh, a leader would need to get excited about the thing that God had called him to do, they're on fire for it. But then you know what happens? Life happens. Uh, life happens to everybody. Don't It don't just happen to people that are lost and people that are not in a place of favor and a place of ministry. It happens to everyone. In fact, quite frankly, the attacks come against leaders and people who are obeying God, quite frankly, more than uh, people that are living for the devil. Because the reality is he's got them, He's but he's trying to remove the influence and the leadership that you have. So how does the enemy uh, dull you? And that's what we're talking about here. When you say how to get your edge back, we're talking about you've you had an edge at one time. You were sharp. You know, you you were able to identify things. You were you were cutting, you could cut through uh, the weeds and cut through the, the brush and the briars that was uh, in, in your way on your path. It didn't bother you. God sends you out into the wilderness. You mean, and you, all of a sudden you are into the jungle, and all of a sudden you, there you see all these weeds and these, these bushes and these branches in front of you. 
but you know God's telling you to go. Well, you know, you got the sword of the spirit. You've got, and of course, you know, you're just, your personality, your calling is sharp, and you're just cutting through all the mess. But you know, any kind of blade, any kind of instrument or tool that is, uh, it's got an edge on it that is meant to cut or meant to remove the things, the obstacles that's in your way to getting to what you're trying to accomplish. You know, that could even go as far as to like a shovel or a pick or something like this. If your objection is, if your object, uh, objective, I should say, is to dig a hole, then you need a shovel that's got that point on it, that edge, because it, it helps you to cut through uh, maybe the hard dirt and the hard soil to get down to where you need to be. But, you know, if that edge is broken off, if you're if you're looking for a, a spade shovel to dig a hole, but yet it's broke and now it's sort of flat, and it's almost like a flat shovel that you would scoop something up with, oh, yeah, you can still dig a hole with it, but it's not as effective. You know, it's that, that particular shovel was designed to scoop up, was designed to, you know, uh, get the loose dirt that's already there, the gravel or whatever, and just scoop it up and throw it into a wheelbarrow or something like that. But you want that specific type of edged shovel to cut through the difficult, tough terrain. Uh, when you are cutting brush, when you are cutting down a tree, we could go on and on and on. When even even in the kitchen, when you are using a knife to to cut and you're cooking and you're cutting certain types of of items that needs a sharp edge, all of those have one thing in common. They all start off sharp. They all start off with the ability to cut and do exactly what they were designed to do. But over time, they also have something that come that they have in common, and that is they become dull. And this is the world that we live in as believers and as leaders. And as men and women of God, you know, we start out with that fresh, that fire, that first love. You know, John talks about it in the book of Revelation to the church of Ephesians. He gives them all these commendations of all the great things they're doing. He says, yet you have lost your first love. You've lost your edge. You've lost that driving force that was you know, you believed that anything was possible. You, you believe there was no sickness that was too big for the miraculous power of God. There was nobody too lost that you couldn't just share the gospel with them. And that gospel was not able to penetrate their heart. But over time, we lose our edge. Over time, we become dulled. Over time, we become uh, mundane. We become repetitive and, and we lose that edge. Now, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm going to be real with you. I like to be real on this podcast, on all my podcasts. Anything I'm going to share with you, I'm going to be real with you, and I'm going to just you know, not hold anything back. The reality is this. You, know, you can't survive. You, you're not going to be able to live 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year on that same high that you had when you first got up from the altar and gave your life to Christ and realized that you had been born again or that same high of when you finally accepted the call to preach and you begin to see God use you and begin to move in your life. Oh man, I wish we could, but the reality is this, we're human. You know, I can tell you that there's been so many times that you, I get in that pulpit and preach on a Sunday morning under fire. I mean, the power of God would be so manifest and so powerful. And before I could even get out of the building, you know, depression had set in, um, the reality of what I'm still facing sickness in my body that, that the anointing had, had overshadowed during that moment is reminded it's still there. 
issues with my family, all these kind of things, financial issues, they come, they come back, they come to you because that's real life. And if you don't keep yourself sharp, if you don't uh, stay fine-tuned in the anointing of God and focused on what God is calling you to do, you'll become dull. And when you become dull and you lose your edge, then you begin to listen to voices that you didn't used to listen to. You begin to see things that you would not allow yourself to see anymore. And next thing you find is, you know, usually right after that dullness, right after that losing of that edge becomes sort of a backsliding in in your faith and in your walk with God. And one day you realize how in the world did I get here? How in the world did I lose what I had? So, so I want to tell you that I've been there and I, and everybody that I know that's had any kind of longevity in ministry and leadership have been there. We've all lost our edge. And, and if I be truthful, we've lost our edge on many different seasons in our lives. But just because you've got, you've grown dull, just because you've grown burnout or, or just because you, you feel like you've lost your passion doesn't mean you can't get it back. One of my favorite stories in scripture is such an unusual, strange story uh, of teaching about the miraculous of God. But when you delve into these things, you realize that nothing is in here by mistake and nothing is in the word of God uh, as some crazy, don't make any sense uh, story. Oh no, God put everything in scripture because he knew that it would teach us. And this scripture, I'm going to read a few scriptures here uh, in this teaching that that is talks about the great prophet Elisha. And if you know about Elisha, Sha, Elisha, that you know he is directly tied to Elijah. He served Elijah uh, during his ministry. In fact, it's very interesting that the Bible tells us that Elisha, main job in ministry until that faithful day that he received the double portion of anointing of Elijah, if you know that story, his main job was to literally hold his coat, hold the coat of Elijah, and wash his hands before he would eat, stand over in the corner and watch his leader eat and nourish himself and nourish himself while he stood in the corner holding a coat, hoping that he'd even get a bite to eat. And then, of course, he was completely a bivocational preacher. He was not full-time in the ministry because we know that because when he was, before he ever received uh, the double portion of the anointing of God, he was, of course, when he wasn't working his secular job, he was serving Elijah in his ministry and in his travel itinerant ministry. But when it came time for God to tell Elijah to anoint Elisha, he went and found him at his secular job, and he was tilling the ground. The Bible said he was tilling a, a, a yoke of oxen and he was in a massive field and he was of a group of 12 different people that was out there working. And Elisha was the last of the 12. So in other words, not only was he working the field, he was working the field in the most horrible condition of anyone in that in that entire workforce because he was tilling the field but he was also eating the dust of 11 other yoke of oxen that was before him. And he was also walking through all the mess that all the oxen of the other 11 had left behind. And he had to walk through that as he was tilling. So that's just an incredible story. And he was just found faithful. And of course, you know, as if you know that story, he, uh, Elijah throws his mantle on him and Elisha runs after him and says, I'm going to go with you. And then, of course, he he tears up his, his uh, yoke, the 
for the oxen, makes a fire with the wood from it, and then kills his oxen, and then uh, boils the meat on the fire made from the from the yoke from the plow, and then he of course he burns the plow. When he burns the plow and he kills the oxen, he basically declares, "There, I'm not going back. There's no Plan B." So, so it's just a tremendous story. And then he begins to follow Elijah in every single stop along the journey. Elijah would say, you need to go back. You need to go back. This is not for you, a place for you. And Elisha would not leave. Elisha would say something like this, very powerful as the Lord lives. And as I live, I will not leave thee. And, and, and he would just go, okay, you can go with me. Then he finally gets to the river Jordan and this is key. He gets to the river Jordan and he's standing on the banks of the River Jordan. And one more time, he tells Elisha, you can't, you can't come with me. You're not supposed to be here. And he says, I'm not leaving you, sir. I'm not leaving you. And then he says, okay, listen. All right. So what do you want from God? What are you really wanting from God? And he goes, I want a double portion of your anointing. And, of course, we know that at that point, you know, they cross the Red Sea. Elijah takes his mantle slaps the water, the, ro- the the Jordan River opens, they go across, and then, of course, not long after that, he says something very powerful. They're at Jordan. It's very important for you to understand that this was said at Jordan. He says at Jordan, he says, if you can see me when I'm taking, uh, taken up, then you can have what's on me. And, of course, the whirlwind happens, the chariots of fire come down, they pick up Elijah and take him away. And as he's going away, the mantle that was on his shoulder falls from heaven from the chariot and Elisha picks it up and the double portion of anointing comes on him. He raises it up before the river Jordan that has now since closed back again and smokes the water and says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he smokes the water, my God, I feel the Holy ghost right now. The water parted and Elisha, a coat toting hand washing mess walking through, dust-eating, plow-driving, oxen-following, all that improper grammar, I know, but you get the point, became the prophet, the prophet of Israel. That is incredible. So he goes on, not only does he have a double portion of anointing, he goes on to perform exactly double the amount of miracles of Elijah. He, he takes over, not only does he do that, he takes over the school that Elijah was teaching that Elisha was a student of. Now, this school was called the Sons of the Prophets. This was a school, not a whole lot is said about it in Scripture, but we do know that it was, was made up of several young men that would come in and be mentored and trained by the, the, by the great voice of God in that area, the one that was the mouthpiece of God, and that would have been Elijah, and then, of course, became Elisha. We don't know what happened to the school of the prophets, the, of the sons of the prophets later. I'm assuming that it continued. We, we don't know, but we do know that these two great prophets led this same school. So now we say all of that to fast forward to this moment, to this very unusual story. Now Elisha has taken on a double portion mantle anointing, and he understands it's not just to do miracles. Listen, a leader is not just to stand on a platform and have a microphone or to do miracles and have altar calls. He is a five-fold ministry gift, so he, he is called to equip people to duplicate what he's doing. That's what it is. The five-fold ministry gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are here for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So 
watch what happens here. This is found in 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm going to read from verse 1. And we're talking about the sons of the prophets. So here we are. Elisha is now leading. He's equipping. He's mimicking his mentor. He's following the leadership of his mentor. He's, of course, being used by miracles. But he realizes the same school that my leader, my spiritual father, poured into me. I'm now, it's on me. So I have a responsibility to pour it into the next generation. So here we, here we see these young men who are now... They're not named, but it just says this in verse 1. The sons of the prophets said to Elisha, now we know this is the same school, see now the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Now watch this. That means that the school of the prophets under the tutelage of Elisha had grown in number from the same school that Elijah had led. So we begin to see the power of father and son. A father wants a son to do more and go further than he did. So we see that being success. We see that growth happening. Verse two, it says, please. Now listen to me. I told you, remember, the, don't forget about Jordan. This is many, many years after the great um, outpouring of the double portion. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So in other words, they said, we've outgrown where we're at now. We, we've all talked about it, and we want to go to Jordan, to, the, to, the, to a specific place. You'll find that in just a minute. In Jordan, the Jordan River, and we will cut down trees there, not here, there, and we will make a place for us to dwell there. In other words, we realize that this is not only have we outgrown this building, we want to go and start another campus that has bigger, a bigger facility, but we don't want it to be here. We want it to be there. We want it to be at Jordan. So the Bible says that Elisha said, go. How, how, many, how many times have we ever heard God use just simply that two-letter word, go? He said, go. Well, then one of the students spoke up and said something very unique. He said, then one of the students said, please consent to go with your servants. And then he answered, I will go. Now watch, he said, he told them to go, but one of them was smart enough to say, uh, to reveal really what their plan really was. You'll see that in just a minute. They said, we don't want just to go. We want you to go with us. We need you to go with us. And immediately he said, I will go. Because the heart of the fathers want to be with the sons, especially in times of promotion. Verse 4 says, so he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they began to cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head flew off of the stick, the branch that had been holding it, the handle that had been made, and the iron axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the son of, so excuse me, so the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place where it fell off the stick. And what did Elijah, Elisha do? It's very interesting. Elisha, he, the Bible says, so Elisha cut off a stick, a new stick, and threw it in there into the water. And he made the iron float. Therefore, he said, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. Now, 
That's just a crazy story, y'all. Let, let me just break it down what just happened. They're cutting trees like crazy. They're getting ready to build this new facility that's going to be the School of the Prophets. And one of the sons of the prophet, more than likely it's probably the same guy that asked, asked him to go with him. It's just always been my opinion. As they're just flattening these trees, just working, doing the work, doing the work, doing the work, doing the work. Listen where I'm going. Doing the work, doing the work, doing the work. Doing the work of the ministry. Listen, you can get so busy doing the work of the ministry that you forget the ministry, that you forget the God that you're serving, that you forget a commitment level that you that you had at the beginning that even was the reason that you're even called to begin with. But now you've 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 replaced that passion, you've replaced that purpose for work, the work of the ministry. You know, you can sing, you can preach, you can uh, clean the church, you can build things at the church, you can work in children's ministry and youth ministry, and you can do all these great things. But then one day you realize, my God, I'm doing, I'm doing all this work, but what am I accomplishing? What am I really doing? Where is my relationship with God? When's the last time I talked to God? When's the last time I just shut up and listened to God? So, so what's the, the symbolism here that's in this story? It's just incredible. So he's doing the work, he's doing the work, he's doing the work. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of, the do, of doing the work, the thing that was doing the work with him flies off and, and, and falls into the water, the axe head. And he says something so amazing. Immediately, the first thing that comes out of his mouth is he freaks out because he realized it was borrowed. Can I tell you something? That one of the reasons that people will lose their edge and one of the reasons that, that the thing that that used to work for you, uh, that's that's in, inspiring you, changing you, uh, is is exciting to you, uh, just flies away from you, quite frankly, leaves you. It's because for a while you can you can get up under an anointing and you can someone else's anointing and you can flow really in the 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 spillover of their anointing, but at some point. You, if you're doing the work of the ministry, when you're around other people doing the work of the ministry, and you're flowing in their anointing and their their spillover, at at some point that will no longer work for you, and and God will show you that what you are doing is operating under a borrowed anointing, that that it didn't really belong to you from the beginning because. You didn't want to pay the price. You did not want to do what it takes to walk in an anointing. You just wanted to be anointed. And, and you know, praise God that you wanted to be anointed. But let me tell you something. The anointing is costly. The anointing is not an easy life. And so you'll realize very quickly, I, I'm, I, you'll have to admit to yourself, and I'm, I'm thankful that this, this young man admitted. He cried out, listen, the reason this is so upsetting to me is is I'm I have I have abused and I have misused uh, something that someone gave me something that someone poured into my life. I I was haphazard. More than likely, he could have probably saw the axe head working its way loose, and it was not sitting on there correctly like it's supposed to. But you know, you got to do the work. Got to do the work. Got to do the work. Instead of taking the time to do the maintenance to making sure that that is fitting correctly. 
And then, you know, no, God take care of it. God to take care of it. And then one day God says, okay, let me show you what happens when you're not disciplined. Let me show you what happens when you don't have a relationship with me. I'm going to show you what will happen to you uh, without being around this other person. You think you've got an anointing, but you're just operating under the auspices of someone else. And all of a sudden, he the, the axe head flies off. And it's so important because he says, where did it fall? Elisha says, immediately says, where did it fall? And I want to say that to you right now. Where did it fall? It's time for you to go back and realize, where did it fall? Where did I lose my edge? What happened? You may have to do some retracing. You may you may have to ask yourself, go back and get some old Bibles. Go back and get some old journals. Go back and get some sermon notes. Go back and get some just some little post-it notes. Find some things from the past and let your mind go back there. And you'll begin to realize, you know, maybe it, I lost my edge when I got Netflix. Maybe I lost my edge when, when smartphones started coming out. Maybe I lost my edge when I started caring more about what I posted on Instagram and Facebook than I did about you know, spending time with the Lord. Where did it fall? It's very important for you to realize. Now, you need to go back and rehash all your mistakes. That's not what I'm saying. But you want to learn and you want to guard against going down that path again. So thankfully, he didn't say, you know what? I don't even know where it fell. I don't know what happened. I'll tell you, I was just doing the work. I was doing what I was supposed to do. Next thing I know, God forsake me. I don't understand how God could let this happen. I don't understand how God could let that axe head fly out. Well, I mean, my God, shouldn't, shouldn't he be protecting me? No, he took him right to the place. The Bible said the, the young man took Elijah right to the place. He said, this is where it happened. This is where it happened. Because sometimes you got to take somebody with you. Sometimes you got to ask for prayer. Sometimes you got to be vulnerable leaders to other leaders to say, listen, this is where I messed up. Help me to get deliverance over this so that I'm not living a life of, of judgment and shame for the rest of my life. I'm not, I, I will take you to the place that I know I lost this. Help me. Help me. I need to get my edge back. Help me. So here's what happened. It's so powerful. The Bible said Elisha cut off a stick and threw it in there. And as soon as he threw that stick in there, the iron, don't you know, by that time, it would have happened almost instantaneously anyway. But, but by that time, this iron had already hit the bottom. It hit the bottom a while back. And here's what's so powerful. The, the Jordan had, you know, at certain times, you know, of the year, and most times of the year, it's got a pretty good current on it. And those iron heads were probably not near as heavy as what we would have now. Uh, so more than likely, the it could have even moved away from where he fell, where it fell off off of the stick. But but that young man didn't know that. The young man could not see through the muck and the mire of the of the muddy Jordan River. He just knew he could just take him to his footprints. He could just take him to the place where he saw the place where he was standing. The tree was still there. It wasn't completely finished. It wasn't cut yet. He could take you to that tree, and it made it very easy for him to say, "I was standing right here at this tree." When I, I swung it one more time and it flew past the tree and flew in the water right over there, about right in the middle of the Jordan, right over there, sir. Well, you know what? It didn't matter if if it was sitting directly under where he saw it go down or if the current had taken it down further or if it had hit a rock underneath the water, which made it to ricochet a little bit and go a little bit further away. It didn't really matter where it was. All that mattered was the young man knew where he had lost it. 
He knew where he had lost his edge, and he was publicly proclaiming, I have lost my edge. Not only have I lost my edge, I've actually lost the edge that I was operating under that didn't even belong to me. I'm standing here realizing now that I'm completely helpless. If I don't have an edge, if I don't have something to cut with, I will not be able to do what God has put in my heart to do to bring this tree down to build God's house. So what did Elisha do? Elisha didn't really get into dealing with what happened. He didn't get into dealing with that it was borrowed. He just simply cut off a stick and threw it in the water. And I'm going to tell you what's so powerful about that is, is that the Bible says the iron floated. But why did it float? Where did it float to? It floated to the stick, y'all. I truly believe that because the stick represented uh, purpose. That axe head by itself can't really do what it's supposed to do without the stick. And the stick can't really do what it's supposed to do without the axe head. Now, what are you saying, uh, Pastor? Let let me tell you what I'm saying. You could take a a stick. You could take that handle because he still had the handle. And notice that he didn't use the handle that he had lost the axe on. He said, I don't want to use the handle that you've been using. I want to show you that it's time not only going to get your edge back, but you're, but you're going to get a new uh, stick. You're going to get a new power that's behind that edge because you were willing to admit that you had lost your edge. Now watch this. He cuts a stick, throws it in the water, and the axe head floats to the stick. Now, he's, he, then he says, go pick it up for yourself. Go pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and he took it. Let me tell you what I believe. I believe, and this is my opinion but I believe that when he reached out and took it, that he didn't reach out and take the axe head. He reached out and took an axe. He had the stick and the axe came back together, and he was able to pick it up and get back into the ministry. And I want to tell you something. I believe that something happened in that water, too, that that that's, that iron was a little bit sharper, and that, that stick was a little bit stronger. See, if you just take an axe head that's not on, on a stick, and you just put it in your hand, just picture an axe head, just an axe head by itself, and you just, even a modern time right now, and you put it in your hand. And it could be the sharpest axe head in the world. Can you imagine going to a tree, just taking the axe head in your hand, and just starting to just wail against that tree? Oh, it's going to chip it. It's going to cut it. And, and it's, it's going to get into the wood part of it. But think about how hard it would be to bring a tree down with an axe head in your hand. Then you take that stick and you start hitting the stick up against the tree. Well, it's not going to do anything. It's just might knock a little bit of bark off it, and that's that's about it. But you take that axe head and you put it on that stick, and then you grab both of your hands, and you're able to take all the momentum of a swing that's not just your hands, but it's your arms and your forearms and your shoulders and your back, and all of that gets put into that weapon. And, And all of a sudden, that brings so much force that gigantic chunks start cutting out of that tree. That's the power of being connected. That's the power of making sure that you're not trying to do this by yourself. And Elisha was trying to illustrate, man, if you want to get your edge back, you're going to have to, you're going to have to get something different than you had before. Um, it's going to have to be something fresh. It's going to have to be something new. And I'm just, and you know, I just get real deep and think about, you know, Jesus uh, was lifted up. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw 
all men unto me. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. What was he lifted up on? He was lifted up on a on a on piece of wood, a tree. He was lifted up on 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 a piece of wood. And when he was nailed on that cross on that piece of wood, then he drew all men unto him. Can I tell you something? Ultimately, the way you're going to get your edge back is you're going to have to get back to the cross. That you're going to have to you're going to have to let the Lord cut down that that your your tree, cut down what you've been doing on your own, and let Him throw something into the situation and that course that is the cross paul said i care not to know anything but jesus christ and him crucified let me tell you something you you're gonna have to cry out lord lord i've lost my edge i've lost my edge and let me tell you something but but god said when you get this edge back i'm not just going to give you the edge back i'm going to give you something new to connect to i'm going to give you something new to connect to can i tell you something as a leader as a leader, and that's what this podcast is all about, the day that you think that you don't need anybody else to be connected to is you've already lost your edge. Every pastor needs a pastor. Every leader needs a leader. And that stick that you've been using, that axe head that you've been borrowing, it's going to come a time in your ministry and come, come a time in your life that if it hasn't already happened, some of you several times. I think some of you are in it right now. Where you're like, I just, I just don't feel it like I used to feel it. I'm just burnt out. Well, you know what you might need to do? Let the axe head fly. Just let it go. And then go find the man of God. Go find someone that you're covered by. And come real, become real with them. Come clean with them. This is going on in my life. This is going on in my life. This is a struggle that I'm going through. And I've lost my edge because of it. And now... I realize I can't just operate on somebody else's anointing. I can't even operate on, on that little piece of stick that I had before. I need somebody in my life to cut down a new stick, throw it into my life, and watch the things of the past come back stronger and sharper because there's still work to be done. You know what he did? That young man grabbed that new ax and he went back to swinging. And they built the house of God, and they were trained, and they were equipped. Ladies and gentlemen, isn't it time for you to get your edge back? Thank you for joining us on this podcast. Here's the first thing you need to do. Whoever it is that's covering you in your life, go to them and tell them, I need help. I need help to get my edge back. I need help. You know what? Any leader, any spiritual father that's in your life that is truly a spiritual father or mother in your life, they'll want nothing more. But you know what? Be prepared. They may ask you, take me to where you lost it because we're going to have to deal with some stuff. It's time to be sharpened. It's time to get your edge back. We need you in the game. We need you in the body I love you and I appreciate you the remnant is rising leaders are rising swing swing away we got a house to build sharpened it's time to be sharpened it's time to be refined follow this podcast give us a five star rating share it with somebody I'll see you next time on the remnant leadership podcast